0: Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar, weekdays at two on Mile High Sports.
1: Beating the streets alive baseball's. We're happy to be joined by CBS News Sports Anchor Romy Bean. Uh, Romy, thanks for joining us. It is opening day. We're going to sort of set the Rockies aside. Their game's been delayed a little bit for the rain, and we know that they are uh, not playoff bound. The Avalanche are playoff bound, but they uh, took a hit last night. Their third opportunity to take control of the Central Division. They did not get it done. By Sandy's reckoning, he's kind of put the schedule together. That top seed now goes by the wayside. Now, if you're the avalanche, do you kind of come to terms with that? What do you do trying to bounce back knowing that you missed another opportunity to take control of your division, but you can't rest on anything because Dallas is next up on the schedule Sunday, or, pardon me, Saturday?
0: Well, yeah, I mean, you make a great point, Sean. The fact that Dallas is around the corner, you got to bounce back and you got to bounce back quickly. You know, I- I'm not so much um, upset or concerned about the fact that they didn't lock down The division would have been nice. Um, This team has shown that they can win on the road. So I think, and they showed that last year in the playoffs, that like home ice advantage wasn't even that significant for them, right? So I think big picture when you look at it for the playoffs, it's nice to win your division, absolutely. And, And you should want to put yourself in that position. I think the issue that I took and what I didn't like was that, they didn't, they didn't really show up ready for that game. And Jared Bednar, you know, made no bones about it. He said there were passengers in the first period, you know, that game where you have a chance to sweep the season series, put yourself in position to win the division and for Minnesota to come out and clearly want it more from the jump. That's what I don't like to see. Um, That part is the part that, that I don't love that we're winding down that, you know, you got to show you can't have passengers as they say, so that was the part that I didn't love. Now, look, big picture, am I concerned about this for, for the playoffs? No, I'm not. But this late in the year, with a game like that, you don't like to see the other team come out and clearly want it more. Um, and I thought they played really well in the second and the third period. They had some chances, a couple of, couple of posts, a couple of things that, that didn't go their way. But I think it was pretty clear. Minnesota wanted it more. And, you know, you just that's the part that, for me, You don't love to see, but at the same time, now you have a chance to at least write that wrong in the sense of you got to go and make a statement in Dallas. Last time you played Dallas, I mean, you you got your teeth kicked in. You basically got run out the arena. Um, So this is a chance to keep your standing and also to kind of make a statement for the playoffs. So I think hopefully you see a little bit of a bounce back in that regard with Dallas around the corner.
2: Um, We don't, see this often anymore because there's so much TV, uh, but uh, it seems to me that other than the Edmonton game that was so good on, I believe, that Sunday afternoon a few weeks back when the Avalanche were down 3 nothing came back and won 6-5 to in overtime, Rantman scores in overtime is the loudest I've heard of uh, the crowd, certainly this year. And, you know, maybe apart from the playoffs, uh, at any time during the regular season for the last four or five years, as good as the Avalanche have uh, tended to be over that uh, stretch. But uh, otherwise, there seems to be a national television jinx of sorts on the Colorado Avalanche right now because all three of these losses we talk about, uh, the Dallas came in Dallas a few weeks back, I believe on a Saturday, national TV, Pittsburgh, Last week, national TV. Minnesota last night, just as last week against Pittsburgh was on TNT, national TV on TNT again last night. And I guess you would expect, uh, as Bednar, I think, intended to convey, that uh, the second, third, and fourth line guys, two or three of the defensemen, uh, would be more engaged competitively. Uh, in front of a national television audience uh, than there were. Did you get that same impression from his remarks that uh, he he wasn't as hard maybe on the stars who just had bad games uh, but seemed to be somewhat competitively engaged as opposed to uh, the so-called support players uh, who basically were hard to notice unless they were getting flattened by a Minnesota wild skater?
0: Yeah, and, you know, I think when you go back and you look at last season and in the playoffs, the secondary scoring, the contributions from those second, third, fourth lines were tremendous. And there have been flashes and there have been um, fan streaks of that this season, but certainly not consistently. And I think this is kind of goes to what you're saying. Of they need more of that. They need a lot more of that, right? You'll see Logan O'Connor go on a, on a hot stretch, and then maybe cool off, you know. Um, But there needs to be more secondary scoring, more contributions. I think for me, a lot of this all goes back to Gabe Landeskog. When we talk about Gabe, not just on the ice, but what he does in the dressing room, Uh, Miko Randon has absolutely stepped up as a leader. Nathan McKinnon, you can tell he has as well. And, And they've got nothing against those guys. This is more of a, you can see the difference of when, and we know this, guys. When guys aren't playing, they don't use their voice as much. That's just that's just how the game goes. And I think we've seen it all year, and you see it in these moments of Gabe Landeskog not playing right now. These are the times where he just knows what to say. He knows how to galvanize that locker room. He knows how to light a fire under every single guy. And this is when I say when we look big picture, can the Avs win another cup without Gabe? Yes, they can, but that leadership piece, I mean, is just massive. Nobody quite fills the void like that guy. There's a reason why he's been a captain since he was 18 or whatever it is, right? And these are the moments where you really see it. This is when you say they really need Gabe back for whatever he's saying on the bench, for whatever he's saying in intermission, right, and just that precedent that he set. So for me, that it's all of these little examples, and we're seeing it kind of throughout the year, is them – missing Gabe and missing the leadership that you simply cannot replicate.
2: I don't know what it is about the guests we've had on the last two days, Sean, (laughs) but they're taking away all my questions because they're answering my questions (laughs) before I ask the question. Not easy to going to go uh, Again, uh, we sometimes, Sean and I do disagree on things uh, in this case quite mildly, but we were talking the other day about basically the four avalanche fixtures who are out of the lineup right now, and they will all return, we think, at some point. We don't know exactly when, but at some point all four will uh, we, we'll be returning. And, and our question was, of the four, who do you need back? Uh, maybe not the quickest, but the most. Mm-hmm. And Sean said with considerable uh illustration, to make his point, uh, that it was perhaps Manson or even Lekkonen as opposed to Landeskog, and I said Landeskog uh, for many of the reasons you just outlined, and just to follow up by asking you, it's the intangibles with Landeskog. Uh, More than it is that uh, the tangible physical presence on defense that Manson provides or the obvious uh, uh, forechecking uh, element that Lekkonen brings to bear. Uh, It's just he's the captain and his voice, which you just identified, but also his presence on the ice. I hasten to add Minnesota did nothing dirty last night, but when you saw Cogliano flattened and even leave the game for a time when you saw Newhook, not in a dirty way whatsoever, just get nailed uh, in the attacking zone. Uh, I'm not saying Landeskog avenges that, but he gives you a guy who might do that to them. And I didn't see that the Avalanche had a guy last night who would do what Minnesota was doing to Minnesota.
0: Uh, a thousand percent. And you know what though? I would say I would put Josh Manson in that category uh, as well. So you're missing the top two guys, but Landy is the guy. And I think we all loved it last year. We're like, Oh my gosh, like Landy's just, he's just dropping the gloves, but always, he's always going out there just to make a statement. And Josh Manson is the other guy. When you talk about a physical presence, a guy that's willing to stand up or not, you know, make sure none of his guys get bullied this, that, or the other. so, in that same regard, I could say you could potentially miss them both equally um, in that right. And as you guys mentioned, I mean, it's those three, right? You need all three for different reasons, a thousand percent. Um, I, I love Samuel Gerard. I feel bad because he gets a lot of hate. But when you look in the playoffs, he's just small. He just he, Nobody's scared when they're coming downhill at that guy. You need a Josh Manson. You need that physical presence. But going back to Gabe, it's the voice. You can put it akin to a DeMarcus Ware of Peyton Manning, right? It it goes so far beyond whatever that they are doing uh, on the field of play. Um, But the other thing with Gabe as well, though, is on the ice. I mean, he is a menace in front of the net. He's that big, huge body in front of the net. I don't know if anybody does that better. Blocking the goalie's view, getting in front of the net. There's not really a guy right now that's doing that. So it is on the ice as well um, as what he does. You know, I had Bo Byron on my show a while ago, and he said he called Gabe a unicorn. He said he's just a unicorn. If he comes back, it's a it's a huge shot on the arm because it is. It's right. what he does off the ice, but it's what he does on as well. And and what he does in front of the net is just massive, and they really are missing that.
1: We're talking about the Colorado Sportscaster of the Year last year and Sports Anchor over at CBS News. Colorado, Romy Bean. Follow her on uh, social, Romy underscore Bean on Twitter. And, uh, Romy, let's, let's switch gears real quick. The Nuggets have a game against the Pelicans, which is interesting because all of a sudden – they don't need it, and they have an opportunity to not only get their guys some rest, but losing this game to the Pelicans, and, and remember, the Nuggets do like manipulating the standings this time of the year, might scoot them ahead of the Lakers, a team that they definitely don't want if LeBron and Anthony James are healthy. Anthony Davis, pardon me. If, if you look at the game tonight, if you're Michael Malone, Romy, how much do you play Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic?
0: You know, I think this is one of those things where the good thing with the Nuggets is they're out of that slump. They have that little slump that we all started to get a little bit face it, a little bit no, concerned I, about. Well for yeah. yeah. They're playing like themselves again. You can tell that, you know, when when the when the competition's there, they get up, they get up for the competition. With this being a game that it kind of doesn't matter either way, I think that it's a mix because I think that it's still important that they keep that momentum going. You don't want to kind of fall into any sort of another slump. But realistically, with Jamal Murray, and he has been great lately, but now with really widening down, there's absolutely no reason to play him any more than he needs to be played, right, um, at all, because you do want to make sure that that, knee, that, that whole body is healthy in the playoff. Uh, with Nikola Jokic, I think it you know, sometimes at this point, you almost think Jokic would rather just play badly so we can be out of the MVP conversation. Um, but, but realistically, I think you just want those guys, you want them to get good minutes. But I think the most important thing at this point now is you finally have found some sort of a formula here on the bench. Let's play the bench guys. Let's get the bench guys rolling and feeling good because that has been a problem all season. That was a problem last postseason. When people look at the Nuggets chances, even though you don't play the bench all that much in the playoffs, you have to have guys to play well when they're off the floor if Reggie Jackson can get a little juice back, I would try and focus a little bit on how can you get that second unit rolling and find the true formula so you're not concerned about it, so it's not holding you back at all in the postseason. And that's how I would look at it if I was Michael Malone.
2: Yeah, and 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 maybe giving some minutes to that ninth, 10th, even 11th guy uh, just to... Mm-hmm. Because in the playoffs... I'm not saying Reggie Jackson and Thomas Bryant would play significant minutes under any circumstances, short of a rash of injuries. Right. But they're not playing at all now. And if you have a need for them, even a little bit in the playoffs, why not give them both 10 to 15 minutes a game? But at the same time, I, I, I think the, Three guys you have coming off the bench right now that are the most important, that no less an authority than Jamal Murray said when they come into the game, we're a better defensive team. Bruce Brown, Christian Brown, Zeke Najee, he included in that assessment. He says we're better defensively with each of those three guys on the floor. And I would agree that their value comes on defense more than it does on offense. To me, they've got to play 15, 20 minutes a game, depending on foul trouble uh, or lack thereof, uh, maybe more than that. Uh, But to work Jackson and or Bryant back in so that conceivably they could give you something during the playoffs because it seems coming off the bench that the Nuggets don't have a pure fundamental point guard who thinks pass first. Uh, they lost that when they lost Monte Morris. Wouldn't you agree? Uh,
0: yeah, you know, it's so funny, Sandy. Sometimes I think, man, can you imagine this team if Monte Morris was still on this team? But there was a reason that they had to trade Monte, but uh, I mean, man, that that would that second unit would be so powerful, but I, I think you make a couple great points, and first and foremost, Christian Brown has to be in this lineup. You know, I know uh, Michael Malone. Uh, has gone back and forth with rookies. We've seen this over the years. We saw this Michael Porter Jr. We saw it with Bones. We've seen it. But Christian has proven why he needs to be on the court. He You have to play him. Uh, there's there's just no question. And defensively, you have to, um, especially when we talk about you know their defense having to be strong, especially when um, that second unit is on the floor. So I think there's an absolute case there. I think there's always been a case. Uh, for Bruce Brown. But what I think with, with Reggie Jackson and Thomas Bryan is that, you know, they were brought in here. There was quite a lot of hype. And I think if nothing else, give these guys a little bit of confidence. I mean, Christian Brown has all the confidence in the world. I think, you know, to go out there in the playoffs, I don't think the stage will be too big for him, but with those guys, and I think their confidence has maybe been rattled a little bit. It's a good opportunity to just try and build them up. Cause like you said, if you do end up needing them, do I think they'll play big roles in the playoffs? No. But it would be great if you could get Reggie Jackson hot, get him going a little bit, and that would really round out that unit nicely. So these are the kind of games where it's the perfect opportunity to at least try and solidify that unit and and see if these guys can, if nothing else, give them a little confidence boost in case you really do need them in the playoffs.
1: She is Roby Bean, of course, the uh, sports anchor at CBS News Colorado. And as I mentioned before, by the way, the uh, reigning, defending 22 Colorado sportscaster of the year. Thanks for joining us, Romy. We appreciate it. This is a, it's an interesting game. It's an interesting way to see. Cause I am with you. I think the Nuggets need to invest in their bench and they haven't really done it. Let's see if they do it tonight. Thanks for the time.
0: Guys. Thanks so much. As always. Such a treat.
1: All right. Thanks for joining us. Uh, and I, I think she really hit it on the head with the, this challenge here for the Nuggets. The idea that yes, uh, You always want to win games, but you don't have to win every game. You've actually earned a position where you can be a little bit flexible. Hopefully tonight, the Nuggets will make some choices that will give them an opportunity for longer-term success instead of the shorter-term success that Michael Malone seems a little bit fixed on. We will see. We'll be back with more. We're live at Blake Street Tavern for Mile High Sports.
0: Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar. Presented by Burnham Law. Hire the winner at BurnhamLaw.com. Here's Sean and Sandy.
1: It is opening day in baseball. Uh, The first home run of the year. Surprise, surprise. Aaron Judge. (laughs) Guess what? Done in his first at bat of the season. Uh, Marcus Stroman of the Cubs. Congratulations. The first pitcher called for a pitch clock violation. So uh, the first of the season is already going on. We There'll are, be a lot of trivia questions yes. asked five, 10 years from now
2: about the first violator. Uh, Stroman right. will go into the history books. Be so the first violator on the pitch clock uh, officially and, in a league game. Despite the, the fact the rule
1: actually has existed for right. 122 years, but uh, Roman finally gets uh, the call. But baseball itself, it's, it's fascinating watching the way that uh, players met all the, 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 hubbub about it. The idea that everyone's going to hate it, right? That it ruins things. Even players haven't talked about it. This, this it, it, When you talk to players about it, when you hear about them, they basically think that like this is, they've been saying, this is the sport I, I played growing up. Baseball yeah. actually oh, yeah. has pace and action, yeah. and, and you're basically bringing it back. That is exciting. Oh,
2: it's it's the sport we all played growing up. I, I, I never remember being born on a baseball field. I, I was obviously not an especially good player, but uh, uh, you know, I traveled the route through little leagues, youth baseball, little leagues, uh, uh, right up to high school, where I wasn't yeah. nearly good enough. But uh, I I never remember the games dragging or feeling as if uh, I was just standing around doing
1: nothing. No, no maybe in little league, you know, when the games are really a blowout and you're in right field and you're just grasshoppers, uh, well, but then again, you're like six. true, true. But
2: I, <laughs> you know, maybe because. I was on those teams. They weren't all that good, but they tended to be pretty competitive. In any case, I, I think the players actually like it. Uh, pitchers like it. Some complain. The best pitchers in the game uh, have spoken up Max Scherzer in favor said of it.
1: Max Scherzer loves it. It allows him to control, control the pace it. of the game. Verlander, yep. by the way, placed on IL this morning with a muscle strain. Yeah. They, that's, uh, the, the Mets just can't have nice things. No. No,
2: they, they, they can't. And I know people are still picking them to uh, win the division, I'd maybe win the you. pennant, get to the World Series, and so on. Um, I I, just, I followed the Mets for too long. Uh, the Mets aren't quite the Jets because the Mets actually were in a World Series within the last decade. Right. But uh, <laughs> there aren't major differences either. Uh, It seems like generally and historically, the the Mets have had uh, um, a couple of world championship teams in 69 and 86. But uh, uh, the droughts of uh, mediocrity uh, have been uh, long and lasting and indelibly implanted on uh, uh, the minds of their fans. Yeah. No doubt.
1: And uh, by the way, Marcus Stroman, first violator of the pitch clock, but uh, didn't matter because he threw six scoreless innings. Yeah, made it a win. Yeah. So uh, obviously, again, you know, we'll see the way it changes. But uh, looking at the, the landscape, let's let's put the Colorado Rockies aside, because we know that, quite frankly, they're not going anywhere. They're not going to be in any postseason discussion. The only thing is, maybe you know, can they finish fourth over Arizona? And I, quite frankly, don't think they can. No, I don't. Nor do I think that's a particularly interesting topic of conversation. <laughs> but you look at the, the battle for fourth for the Arizona <laughs> yeah, Diamondbacks. Exactly. So when you look at the landscape, and let's start over in the NL. You know, it sounds like maybe the Mets not so much. Uh, it looks to me like you know, the 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 Braves obviously very talented. Philly gonna have to wait a little while to get. Uh, Bryce Harper back, but they were aggressive, yeah. going to get Trey Turner in the offseason. Right, season. great signing. And uh, I look, I guess, at that. I think Miami and and Philly, uh, pardon me, not Miami, but Atlanta and Philly are going to fight it out in the east with the Mets staying on the periphery. Right. But uh, in, the, in the west, there are some folks, I'm not one of them, that are picking the Padres to unseat the Dodgers. So there's a little action there. But it is the central that I find intriguing. There's the Cardinals and the Brewers and kind of then everybody else. So I, I guess I look at it and think, there's six teams that I look and say those are likely the teams that are going to be in it all the way to the end. The the Braves and the Phillies in the East, the Cards and the Brewers in the Central, the Dodgers and the Padres in the West. With the Mets being the sort of the wild card if they can get healthy and things can get right, uh, that would be somewhere you could kind of see it. But um, are you seeing it any differently over in the NL? Is that kind of not what you're especially? At? I think it's strictly
2: two teams in the Central. I agree with you, just as it is in the West. Uh, involving the Dodgers and Padres. It's Brewers and Cardinals in the Central. Um, uh, Braves, Phillies, maybe Mets. Uh, that might be the one division where you have uh, At least some drama three teams. In there. More yeah. than two teams uh, who are legitimate candidates to make the playoffs and even win the division.
1: Well, going over to the AL, of course, uh, we'll, we'll start in the West, where it is still the Astros Oh, it's there. the Astros all the way. Uh, the Angels, of course, such an interesting team, such a likable team. The talent, of course, is ridiculous. They're probably, Arguably the two best players in baseball, in Shohei Otani and Mike Trout, and it doesn't seem to matter. And then, of course, the Mariners seem to be a team on the rise. Julio uh, Rodriguez might be the uh, – l- literally, literally, when you're talking about position – uh, style of play, uh, team he's on, has kind of a Ken Griffey Jr. This yep. guy kind ca- captures the fan base. Uh, obviously, that's exciting. I don't know if the Mariners are there yet. Uh, the Central, obviously, is a bit of a mess. There's the Guardians, and there's everybody else. I know the Twins could be better. The what the White Sox, kind of a popular pick for people in, in, in the Midwest. I don't see it. The I don't East, see it. The um, East... The East is the one I think is interesting because you have the Yankees and you have the Blue Jays and you have the Rays. And I think all three of those might be in the mix for a while. But how do you see those divisions breaking down?
2: Uh, much the same way you do. Um, I, I I think it's hard to go against the Yankees because as much as the Mets seem to have uh, injuries that seem more debilitating somehow, not more injuries than the Yankees have. None of the Yankees have had it. A fair number of injuries, but it, there, there's something about and I think it's more true in baseball than it is in other sports, that there is a culture around teams that is based on legacy and history, and I think, it, you know, I don't believe in the cliche that you put on the pinstripes and you become a superstar, uh, but I do believe that there's something about the Yankees that Creates not an uncomfortable expectation, but sometimes even a comfortable expectation. Now, I, I, I say that knowing the Yankees have not won a World Series since 2009, it's hard to believe, right? It's hard like to believe in that mix, but but it's been that long. They, they, they're almost always in the mix, and uh, y- y- you naturally have the finances that even in a post George Steinbrenner world. Still exist with the Yankees. They are always one of the halves. Always. And always will be. They're they're the Yankees, the Dodgers. um, And, you know, maybe at this point, Houston. uh, Places where people go when they have the chance because they know they'll be in the mix. And and part of the reason they know they'll be in the
1: mix. And baseball... uh, it might surprise you when you actually look at the number of different champions over the last, say, 25 years compared to other sports. But uh, the challenge with the Yankees and the Dodgers is the fact that they have the wherewithal to make moves on the fly. Remember not too long ago when Justin Turner got hurt with the Dodgers, they patched it by, oh, let's just go trade for Manny Machado. Right. For the end of knowing right. he was going to free agency, there wasn't yeah. even an effort to keep him. That's right. I mean, the, right. the Dodgers could do that. This is a rental. Other teams yeah. can't do that. And so those teams are always in the mix. But yeah. even the Dodgers uh, that have been there a bunch of times, yes, they, they got theirs. But it, it feels like in this window over the last 10 years, they maybe should have won three or four. And, and they haven't gotten it done yeah. either. Well, that's where baseball has always been most interesting to me
2: because you always have the sense uh, that with a few exceptions. And and I'm just going by uh, what I saw in the the 60s. Let's just take the Cardinals. Should they have won more than the two World Series they won? Uh, I always thought, yeah, maybe. Maybe they should have because Gibson was the ultimate big game pitcher and uh, they uh, obviously had had great stars at uh, Lou Brock and uh, Cepeda for a while. And uh, Kurt Flood, who became famous for other reasons, right. but was actually a terrific center fielder for the St. Louis Cardinals for many years. Now, should they have won more than two uh, championships in the 60s? Yeah, maybe. Uh But in the 70s, you you had the A's in the early to mid-70s, winning three straight World Series. And uh, if Charlie Finley had not broken up the team, uh, uh, could they have won more? Uh, Certainly, if you talk, uh, as I have occasionally down through the years, to uh, some players from those teams, they think they could have won more. Reggie definitely feels that way. Uh, Of course, Reggie going to the Yankees, and in the late 70s, uh, uh, the Yankees won uh, two in a row. Should they have won more uh, World Series than they did with uh, that team? Eh, Maybe. Uh, But I I thought the Mets in the 80s won one World Series, and they were lucky to win that one over the Red Sox. Should they have won more with with the team that they had eventually it aged but yeah they they should have won at least one more uh, world series but then again they were lucky to win the ones so you, you 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 keep going and I'll stop with that but, but, but it's right. hard to it win is. everything and I know the Astros uh, have created controversy and brought it on themselves but uh, I I thought it was uh Remarkable, and happy for Dusty Baker that he got his championship finally. For 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 a distinguished uh, figure uh, in the the modern history of Major League Baseball, uh, I don't know that he's been the best manager by any means but uh, he's been close to winning mm-hmm. uh, with a variety of teams right and he finally got his world series title with houston and uh, brought back some integrity i think to the houston organization
1: do that they the Astros get it again? badly need and and he certainly could win again i think they
2: certainly could so win again as much
1: as i hate to say it i think they i think they do get it again i think they're the the, the best team i think they're the deepest team i think they do a really good job Of balancing their youth. You know, they've let a couple guys go via free agency, but uh, you're talking about some really talented players. And if you want a a little dark horse for MVP that not a lot of people are talking about, I'll give you one. Uh, And obviously, you're talking about guys that primarily play DH. Uh, You have to have a big year. Jordan Alvarez might have a big enough year to do it. He might. uh, You got to go with uh,
2: two of the guys you already mentioned to me as front runners. Uh, Trout. Um, yes, but, but Julio Rodriguez and I love Julio Otani, to me, yeah. are uh, one and two, two and one uh, o- in o- the MVP o- o- sweepstakes is- before the season begins. And uh, honestly, in the National League, uh, I like Juan Soto of I the do- Padres. Soto, so as, as an MVP candidate. Yeah, that's um, my pick as well. because he, he's just a wonderful ball player. And I think unfortunately that's what what people miss about baseball the the young. Talent that is so dynamic and uh, could potentially, now with the new rules, show some of those talents on the base pass. Right. Yeah. That they haven't had any real incentive to show previously. And I suppose there's the risk of more injury too when guys run, but there have been a
1: lot of injuries and in years re- going. When- Base stealing has become a lost art, right? Yeah. I mean, Matt Max, free the, to uh, the Braves, had to leave the game today, literally just jogging over to first to take a routine toss to the bag from the first base. Uh, that's yeah. just the way it goes. And, uh, the, you know, bringing steals back, bringing action back for baseball. It's an exciting season. Maybe uh, maybe y'all can help me here. Obviously, I'm you know, born and raised in Colorado. I'd love the Rockies to do well, but that guy's that been cast. So <laughs> text in 303-831-1340 or hit me up on Twitter at S-D-R-O-T-A-R. Tell me who else I can root for. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Well,
2: laughs> i have to pick another I, team to you know, pay attention there, there, to. There's some former Rockies. I, 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 you know, around baseball, uh, stories hurt and we will yeah. probably miss the entire season. Uh, Nolan Arnotto, uh I think uh is is somewhat of a divisive figure somewhat here you think uh <laughs> you know for guys going to Hall of Fame I am th- yeah. thinking he's somewhat divisive and we were talking off the air yesterday and uh you know there are a couple things about Nolan Arenado uh that uh, I I think a Hall of Fame candidacy notwithstanding the that to take note of one is the continuing frustration of Nolan Arenado in the postseason mm-hmm. uh offensively right. anyway. Yeah. Right. Defensive And anyway. uh, defense is great. Uh and and the other thing is that uh, as much heat that uh Momford and Breidich got for the way they handled it and for the actual trade they made which is so far i mean you got uh montero and and gomber who are kind of prospects but really sort of fringe players those are until the only
1: two pieces. yeah those are the
2: only two pieces you you got who might turn into something certainly not the, the players who will uh remind you in any way of arenado or arenado's impact but uh, the one thing that always bothered me that he, he said at one point, and maybe he wishes he could have taken it back, uh, was that that he was being disrespected. And I thought using that word, boy, the, to me, there's a lot of respect that hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars confer on hard, hard an individual. and And so to use that term... Uh, And in that context, I thought uh, was was a little bit silly. And although he has remedied this, uh, there was a time uh, within the last five years that Nolan Arenado did not always hustle. And this came up in 2018 when he wasn't running out ground balls until Matt Holiday came back and reminded Arenado that. Whether he liked it or not, he was a leader on the team, and if people saw him jogging to first base, uh, they'd feel at liberty to do uh, the same thing. Um, But um, uh, there's Arnauto's Cardinals, and I I am not a Cardinal fan per se, but I think they run a tight ship. I like their management. It's stable. They're never bad. And they're never never horrendous. Never in my
1: lifetime have they been horrendous. And I'm 65 years that's old. That's why they trail only the Yankees yep. when it comes to bad r- right. World Series titles. That right. uh, They are winners. And if, if you want to be a winner, you don't need to find a pot of gold to strike it rich this March. Instead, win money on your tournament wagers with Superbook Sports. Superbook features the best team of makers in the business, so they're the safe bet when it comes to sports gambling. And you have a direct line to their experienced staff behind the counter in Las Vegas. They also have one of the most extensive betting menus around. So no matter what you want to wager on come tournament time, Superbook is sure to have it. Download the SuperBook app. And start winning today. Visit SuperBook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. The Denver Nuggets take on the New Orleans Pelicans tonight. The late start for TNT, and they have an opportunity to do something that, well, they usually don't. Will they take advantage of it? We'll explain next on My Life Sports.
0: Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar. Weekdays at 2 on Mile High Sports.
1: Thanks for joining us today. I live down to the Lake Street Tavern. By the way, the uh, folks at Afternoon Drive, uh, Neil Piro, Cody Rourke, they will be here as well. Coming up after us as we spend the uh, afternoon at the Big House on Blake for Major League Baseball's opening day. The Rockies, of course, will be in one week. But, Sandy, we look at... The Denver Nuggets, who tonight take on the New Orleans Pelicans. And it's interesting because you look at the NBA standings as they are right now, especially for the teams that would be in the play-in tournament. It is tight, and it means that the Nuggets tonight, if they wanted to, could maybe engage in a little manipulation of the standings and maybe their possible first-round opponent. I agree. And uh, if you want to avoid New
2: Orleans from the first wrap of the playoffs. There's no guarantee obviously right. because they presumably be involved in the play-in tournament. I, I think the teams right now in the play-in tournament will be the teams. Even though there's only a the half game the separating uh, yes. all of them. <laughs> That's I, I do. I, I do think uh, Minnesota for sure uh, Lakers, New Orleans and Oklahoma city will be the four teams. Now could Dallas break through possibly Utah that's the longer shot with, with Utah. I did, Utah's done well to be competitive. Mm-hmm. Nobody expected Utah to qualify even for the play-in tournament yeah. before the season began because they, in the deal with Minnesota, picked up a zillion draft picks Right, and are clearly building uh, for something better in the future. But if the Nuggets win tonight, they do push New Orleans back toward ninth or 10th. Mm-hmm. And if New Orleans wins tonight, they overtake the Lakers for
1: 8th. So let me let me ask you this. Assuming Let's assume that the six that are uh, out of the plane tournament is it stance, the Nuggets, the Grizzlies, the Kings, the Suns, the Clippers, and the Golden State Warriors, even though the Clippers are only two games out of the plane and the Golden State's only one. But let's just assume that right now the Timberwolves, the Lakers, the Pelicans, the Thunder, and I think we believe the Mavericks are still in the mix for that. In order, yeah. from your mindset, because we've talked about some of these teams, which is the one that you don't want the Nuggets to have to face? We know about Shea just Alexander. If Zion City. can get in,
2: uh, New Orleans would worry me a little bit. Um, I've I looked at Oklahoma City and i'd be afraid of one individual right and it's the guy you name of course yeah Um, the team itself is still probably a year or two away but could they make things uncomfortable for the nuggets yes and i think a more comfortable opponent for the nuggets frankly in the first round would be dallas That that sounds Minnesota. I I go back and forth on me, too, because when they they look, they seem to have grown up a little bit. And I think they have a very good coach and Chris Finch, who uh, has a bit of a dilemma because he's got three bigs and you can't play them all at the same time. He's got Gobert Towns is back and he's got Nas Reed, who has played, frankly, over the last month or so, like a star. And, unfortunately, he started to improve right before the trade deadline Right when there were reports that he might have been coming here to Denver. Would have been
1: a great but bit, but when the
2: trade deadline came and went, he was playing far too well for the Timberwolves to consider trading him. And, of course, Towns was still out at the time, and they didn't know exactly when he'd be back. Uh, the Nuggets would obviously much rather have Naz Reed right now than Thomas Bryant uh, they, they, and Nas Reid would would be getting 20 minutes a game if he were playing here in Denver, at least 20 minutes uh, a game in, in a variety of ways, because he can play a little bit of center, a little bit of power forward, a little bit of small forward. He's got a three point shot. He's he's a beast physically. Uh, so I, 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 I'm uncertain about Minnesota. A month ago, I would have said I wouldn't pl- mind playing Minnesota in the first round. The, 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 even though they're two and two against the Nuggets this year and Dallas is two and two, those are two teams that I probably would prefer to play over New Orleans with Zion and over the Lakers with LeBron.
1: Yeah, I definitely don't want the Lakers. Obviously the Lakers, if if you get LeBron and, and Anthony Davis on the floor at the same time, uh, you have two guys that not only of course have elite experience, but the, the truth of the matter is yeah. they also uh, know how to generate foul calls. And and star power still it's yeah. lessened. It's not Dave right. Stern's NBA anymore, right. but it still matters. Yeah. And uh, th- those two guys, I think, would worry me. So I don't want the Lakers in the first round for sure. And, uh, I, I mean, kind of like, Nuggets will win in the in their first round series.
2: It's just the degree to which they're pushed. And obviously, the less stress uh, you undergo in the first round of the playoffs, the better off you'll be hmm. for more challenging rounds to come. In theory, at least, and. Right now, I'd be rooting hard for Phoenix to overtake Sacramento, and you do have two games left with Phoenix. Yeah, because you would then you you do have two games left with Phoenix. So if you don't want, you don't want Phoenix in the play Phoenix, (laughs) maybe again even tomorrow night when the two teams meet in Phoenix. You're following the philosophy of putting a cap on the minutes Load for Murray yeah. and for Jokic in particular. That's exactly what I would
1: do. I mean, I think I think that. Idea you don't
2: mind would be, them winning? No. You want no. them to finish third, and you'd rather play Sacramento in the second round than you Phoenix?
1: Bet. I think so. Even, I, even I think though, that's fairly
2: obvious to me. Sacramento is yeah. terrible defensively. Phoenix is capable of playing good defense. Yes. And. They certainly have the firepower now
1: with Durant healthy again. Yeah, I, Phoenix is obviously, to my mind, when you look at the, the biggest threats to the Nuggets for their chance to get to the first ever NBA finals, Phoenix to me is number one. By
2: far. By, yeah, it's by one by with on. a bullet. Yeah. Right? I because actually would argue at, that, Memphis and Sacramento. Well, they'll, uh, they'll run into the same issues the Nuggets have. They're immature. There. Right. And uh, Sacramento exactly. hasn't play, made the playoffs since it seems like yeah clinton was it's president it's bad. not quite that bad uh, but
1: it's the second bush
2: presidency the right.
1: last time the sacramento kings made the playoffs. so yeah you're talking about a situation there where you know the phoenix is the biggest threat i think golden state quite frankly even though they're in sixth the second because they are bad i'd be wary they are especially if they get wiggins back and we know you're right they're well. coached. Yeah. And, and wiggins is a personal issue it is not a, a health so that there's no way of knowing no way of knowing but it also means that he he doesn't have to work himself back in for the most part. When if he comes back, they can. Right, try to he's not dealing with a physical injury. Yeah, and then the truth of the matter is, it's the Lakers at eight because of the star power. Because yep. it is the Lakers. Those yep. are the three that scare me the most. So the funny thing is, you can hurt the Lakers by look <laughs> resting some guys and losing well, to the Pelicans tonight. Yes, I'm not saying,
2: and you're not either. You can. They're not trying to win, but. You're, you're saying our chief objective tonight to is to avoid playing Murray
1: and Jokic for
2: 35 minutes or more.
1: I, I don't even want them in for 30. I, I think once they hit 30, you well, pull them and whatever happens, happens. Now Malone won't do that, but that's yeah, what I would do. He won't do that.
2: But in the next in couple of games, and, you can elevate. You know how yeah. you, you avoid playing them by building a big lead after three quarters and resting them in the fourth quarter, yeah. which to me they should have done the other night, but what passed? What is past is past.
1: Yes, obviously that is the way it goes. The Nuggets will take on the Pelicans tonight. That will be an 8 p.m. tip, the second of the TNT back-to-back. So uh, if you're in town, by and large, you should be able to watch it. In fact, you can watch it right here. You come to Blake Street Tavern. Nice enough to have us today. The Big House on Blake. Come on down. You watch all the games. Baseball's opening day. Of course, the Nuggets will be on tonight. Catch all of it right here. Terrific to be back for more opening day and terrific to get it with uh, to get to do with you, Sandy, for the first time out here at opening day. Even though oh, we've yeah. done a lot of shows, we never got to do one here together. So no, this no, it has didn't. been a right. treat. Thanks to Danny Bailey in the booth for making this all work. These on-location things are tricky. Uh, he's doing even more work than usual, so thanks so much. And remember, we're staying right here at Blake Street because Afternoon Drive with Neil Apiro and Cody Rourke is next. Thanks to Romy Beam for joining us. For Sandy Clough, I'm Sean Drotar. We'll catch you tomorrow on Mile High Sports.
0: Watching for the snow I've been thinking